Hello and welcome to episode five of China in Context. When you watch young women in China flicking through their social media feeds, you might well get the impression that they're obsessed with being beautiful. Girls are bombarded with images extolling a certain kind of feminine ideal: pale skin, a small nose, thin lips, and so on. And the cosmetics industry is taking advantage of that and booming. This is all very different to the 1970s, when Chinese women were expected to wear gender-neutral clothes, avoid using makeup, and to show their strength. Joining me now is Professor Jie Yu Liu, Deputy Director of the SOAS China Institute, University of London, and author of a book, Beauties at Work. So, Professor Liu, there's this huge change in attitude towards beauty in China. Within the space of a couple of generations, isn't there? Indeed,、um, from my personal experience, I notice a lot of generational differences between my mother's generation and my own peers. I think there are at least two factors contributing to this change. First, there is a historical shift in socialism. The Maoist period, they promoted the trying to erase the gender differences between the citizens. But these values are gradually rejected from the early 1980s onwards. For example, the state-owned media started to promote the feminine figures and womanly values in order to replace the model of women workers held in the Maoist period. Second, I noticed there has been a growing、uh, deployment of femininity in the market domain. For example, the beauty economy is booming in the post-Mao era, and the commercial companies employ models to advertise their products. And many local governments have sponsored beauty contests to boost local tourism in the 1990s. As a result, the commercial culture and the public discourse have been widely saturated with the images of beautiful and young women in China. Oh, that's very interesting. There's a strong political aspect to these changes, isn't there? You've written a book. It's called "Beauties at Work." Can you explain what the title of that book means? The full title of this book is called "Gender, Sexuality, and Power in Chinese Companies," and basically, my book studies the work and the family life of white-collar beauties in urban China. The Chinese media call this term. White collar beauties to refer to those beautiful and intelligent women professionals in urban China. So normally, these women are expected to dress elegantly, have a certain capability in the office, and are physically appealing, also intelligent. Held by the media, this group of women is considered to be living an enviable lifestyle on the front line of a pioneering modernity. However, my book reveals that these women are also subject to gender discrimination and sexual consumption in their workplaces. For example, having the same level of educational qualifications, men are more likely than women to climb up to the organizational ladder. As I worked among them in their office setting, I noticed that a lot of the sexual banter's were actually bordered with harassment. During the company sports event, these women professionals. Were even mobilized to act as cheerleaders. 
Therefore, my conclusion is that in the Chinese workplace, there are a lot of commodification and objectification of women going on. Right. So that's quite a disturbing conclusion. You mentioned that in the 1990s that local governments used to hold beauty contests for women. What kind of face or body is regarded as the perfect image of beauty in China these days? Actually, there is really no definite criteria about the kind of face as the perfect image of feminine beauty in China. In general, the implicit consensus is that women who have fair skin and a slim figure, and they have a good facial features such as big eyes and overshaped are considered as beautiful. Another thing is this whole uh, beauty phenomenon is gendered. I remember when I asked the HR officers what type of man they would consider as good looking when recruiting salesmen, and the HR officer simply said tall, but then emphasized that since not many Chinese men are tall enough, as long as they look smart and clean, that's acceptable. So clearly these ideas differ a lot depending on gender. Do they also differ from region to region? Is a beautiful woman from Shanghai different from a beautiful woman from Guangdong, for example? Yes, in the past, the ideas of beauty would have definitely varied. As China is such a large country and each region has their own linguistic system, customers and traditions. However, I would say that nowadays with the wide coverage of media and internet, the regional boundaries would have blurred. When women are considering how they want to look and what they want to wear, how influenced are they by images from other countries, such as pictures from America or South Korea, for example? Yes, to some extent. The images of other countries through media have shaped the ways in which how women presented themselves. However, the white-collar women professionals I interviewed did adopt a more ambivalent position between Chinese and foreign ideas of beauty. On one hand, there was a clear emphasis on the slim body, but on the other hand, these women reviewed a strong emphasis upon a concept of beauty that was more concerned with internal characteristics. So there is a contrast between a skin-based beauty and internally-oriented beauty. Indeed, many educated women stated to me that the inner beauty was more important than the physical beauty. Well, I'm quite encouraged by that. But when it comes to the jobs market, beauties at work, the subject of your book, how does someone's appearance affect their chances of being hired for a job? It can depend on the jobs and the industries. In the classical hospitality industry, such as flight attendants and frontline service workers in hotels and restaurants, their appearance is such a major factor influencing their chance of being hired, as the employees recruit mostly young and beautiful women. Also in sales jobs, there is a lot of emphasis on the appearance. For example, I remember some HR officer told me that the sales section of their own company would not take in people with a bad physical appearance because salespeople are considered as the front door of their company. But for those white collar professional women, being beautiful is necessary, but not sufficient. They need to be intelligent as well. 
In other countries, though, there might be quite a backlash if people were selected on the basis of their looks for a job rather than their intelligence. What's the situation in China? Do people complain about this? There are articles in the Chinese media critiquing the existence of these youth occupations. However, I do notice that these blames are tended to be put on the employees who are in these occupations. So these articles criticize them for not having appropriate educational qualifications, therefore having to rely on their appearances. There is hardly any criticism on the employers for being discriminatory in recruitment. The women I interviewed did complain about the gender nature of this phenomenon because women felt they had to pay additional efforts, time and money than their male colleagues in maintaining their bodily images. You've given us a little bit of an insight into how the Chinese Communist Party used to think about women. What's changed now politically? I know this is a big topic, but can you give us an insight into the connection between politics and femininity? I think the issue of women has always been the central part of the communist revolution. And it is the official party line that women hold up of the sky, and most state legislations have tried to put gender equality as one of their goals. However, in reality, at level of practices, my research has found that gender discrimination persisted throughout the Mao as well as post-Mao period. So to achieve the goal of gender equality in all aspects of social and economic life, personally, I feel there is still a very long way to go. So I sense from what you're saying that we're still going through a period of change. Your mother's ideas about beauty are different to your own. And if we were to ask teenagers, I'm sure they would have their own perspective. How do you think ideas about femininity and beauty will develop in future in China? It is difficult to answer this question as ideas about femininity and beauty are shaped by the socioeconomic and cultural context of that time. We need to wait to see what society China is becoming before we can figure out these ideas. However, one of the observations I had is that there would be a constant negotiation between traditional Chinese ideas of gender and femininity and ideas of femininity from other countries. And it has been in the narratives of my interviewees as I mentioned earlier on, and I would predict such negotiations would continue into the future. So we're drawing to a close now, but I'd like to know what your personal view is. Do you think that the strong emphasis on beauty and appearance in today's China is a problem for women? This current emphasis on women's appearance is largely shaped by the labour market and the capitalist forces. In my view, this process is very problematic for women. As during this process, women have become objectified. This means their personal and intellectual abilities tend to be ignored in this process. Instead, a woman's worth is equated with her appearance and sexual functions. If women continue to be perceived this way, it will be very hard to achieve the goal of gender equality in China. 
Well, thank you, GAU, for all your research on this fascinating topic. And thank you also to everybody for listening. You can find out more about the SOAS China Institute, which is home to the largest community of Chinese studies scholars in Europe, on our website, which also provides information about courses, events, and research. The website is SOAS, that's S-O-A-S, dot A-C, dot U-K. Alternatively, you can type SOAS China Institute into a search engine and should pop up straight away. But until next time, that's all from us on the China in Context podcast team.